Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 198. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute something to every issue of Freaky, so please check it out. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to theslowpoisoner.com gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of pac-man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the hanna-barbera animation studios the history of the video game Pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-offs, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. I'm currently working on articles about Nightmare, the Galloping Ghost, and the Harvey Comics superheroes for Back Issue and Alter Ego, respectively. My Mad Book is being proofread, and my second Disney book is almost done, and I am currently working on TV cartoons that time forgot. Be sure to buy my latest books, the TTV Scrapbook and the Pac-Man Book. On today's show, we have a performer who portrayed Paul McCartney in the original cast of Beatlemania. He also performed on albums by Kiss and with the Turtles and appeared on Joni Loves Chachi. Here he is, Mitch Weissman. 
Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And on today's episode, we have Mitch Weissman. How are you, Mitch? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Good. Um, so I've known of you long before I ever met you. Right. Um, right. Probably the first time I ever heard of you was Beatlemania. <laughs> right. But, um, and Beatlemania actually was the very first concert uh, I ever attended in my life. Really? Um, in like 1978. But you weren't part of it because you had already really? left. I mean, where I was, was it? Where was it? That's all. Um, I don't know where I saw it, but I believe it was, it was somewhere in San Francisco. Yeah. By then, what happened was uh, the 78 show in San Francisco. Yeah. I it was maybe 79, but whatever it was, we played. I've been 79. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was 79. It was the Orpheum. Um, okay. Orpheum Theater. And uh, so what happened was they used to, by that point in time, they used to fly me around the country to get the reviews open, open the show. So there was a big article in the, in the paper up there showing me sitting on top of a bass guitar in front of me but they used to find me and they used to get all the other guys totally infuriated because i would go get the reviews and then the other guy would go on stage but the producers were were upset about that so i had come from but then i was back on broadway then it went is your from the came in for the first two weeks glenn burtnick who was the who was the paul that you saw probably um he had flown home during those two weeks to perform in new york uh because his Somebody, some uncle or somebody was dying. So he went to perform on the Broadway sh show. Um, and he was very funny. He did yesterday, but unfortunately he was so nervous. He sang why she did it three times while the orchestra was ready to go. Da, 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 why she had to. So he was just, but it was a fantastic performance. And he is, is he got to play for his, for his relative. And it was great. So, uh, yeah, so that was fun up there, but uh, it, it didn't make me those sort of things. Opening Boston, all the return cities we went to, did not make me a happy, did not make me a favorite of the the Paul and the cast that he played with in all those returning cities. You know? mm -hmm. And I said, jokingly said to them one day, um, "You're not gonna one day. We're all gonna you're all gonna get out and say who wants to do the show this week because you'll yeah. be so tired. You play, no, you play. I'm sitting it out, and sure enough." I, that's exactly what started happening. People go, "Do you want to play?" I go, yeah, mm. that's fine. I'll do it. So it was, we get, well, always had two casts in every production. So it was good. Okay. So yeah, I have. I uh, the, the, that's okay. I have the program in my stuff. I didn't want to dig it out, but I remember. No, no, okay. I remember it had like different casts listed and stuff like I, that. And I believe yeah. I, I know you were photographed in it. It probably said New York or Broadway cast. Um, right. But I believe by the time I saw uh, Beatlemania, you had been on at least a TV performance or two somewhere. You know, funny, because, funny, yeah, yeah, um, and. Um, so because, you know, the, the big deal was always how closely you resembled Paul, you know, especially back in the day, you know. And it's like, right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how did let's just kind of back up a little bit. So um, yeah. uh, obviously you didn't like grow up wanting to necessarily be Paul. But uh, when did you start kind of resembling him? And, well, and I, when I, did the call for Beatlemania come along and, and things always... like that? Yeah. Always bothers my wife when I tell the story because what happened was when the, when the Beatles first appeared on Ed Sullivan, I was eleven or twelve, whatever it was, uh -huh. and uh, and I had short hair then, no no Beatle bangs or anything because there was American kids weren't wearing that stuff yet. But I walked out the door the next morning and all the little girls on the block were going, "Oh my God, you look just like Paul!" And uh, I'm going like, 
all right, this is good. Where can I buy turtlenecks? You know, so it <laughs> looked like the Meet the Beatles cover. So. But of course, you know, you're, you're, you're embarrassed by little girls back in those, in those days when you're 12 years old. Right. But uh, that was the first inclination back then. And then I, I was more into Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, God rest, Jeff Beck Soul, he just passed away today. Uh, and, um, and all those sort of guitarists, and that's the route I went. Rhythm guitar, then it's a lead guitar and a, and a singing lead guitarist, like Clapton and those sort of guys. And, um, and Beck was one of my biggest influences, but I played guitar more than I played that. So my hair looked like Jimmy Page's hair. I mean, that's the way I grew my hair out, long in school, then college it was out like like this. I mean, I, I don't have an afro, but it was it was getting I don't know how wide it got, but it did. There's some pictures of me on the internet with a beard, long hair, and I had a 335 and I played guitar. But when it when the show auditions came, I still had long hair. I um 1976, Wings was touring uh around the world, and they came through. Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. And my dad was a music attorney. He got me tickets to the show. So I took my roommate, Steve Zacharias, who's in publishing, big publisher now, and uh, the two girls that we went with. And we walk into, now I'm wearing prescription sunglasses in those days. Um, <laughs> and I, my, I had cut my hair when I was playing bands gigs all over Long Island. And I had just cut my hair when the Red Rose Speedway came out album came out and he had the short hair and then he had what I used to call the tendrils. It was not quite the not quite the mullet, but yeah. it was longer hair. Yeah. So I had gone to the shop and and by then in my Long Island Club days I was performing a small mini Beatles set amidst all the band. I was in a band called Bulldog, which which John Turi, Eric Thorngren, uh Billy Hawker, uh Gene Cornish, Dino Dinelli were all in that band. And then the, by the time I got there it was just the lead singer Billy. So we different medleys. So I did free medleys. I did the McCartney medley. Maybe uh, you can drive my car. We had a world sort of did that sort of stuff, like three songs in a row. And one of the the agents said back then, "You should form a Wings tribute." I said, "No, it's fine." So, but I wasn't even thinking of that. And plus, I still had the long hair, so I got a haircut. I got a haircut that looks exactly like what McCartney's hair, haircut looked like on that on the six seventy six tour, the one that was on the cover of Time magazine and stuff like that. Oh yeah. yeah. So I'm wearing the glasses and I'm wearing a velour sports coat or whatever, velvet sports coat, whatever, and jeans, whatever it is. And, and the four of us walk into the into the Coliseum through the side, out onto the floor, outside floor where all the vendors are and stuff like that, and the cops and stuff. And we're walking into the thing and everybody's like straightening their belts, going like this and waving and stuff. And we're going like, what is that about? Um, and I, this, this is before we'd seen what he looked like on that cover or any of those things. That's so why whatever I'd done, I'd cut myself to look like him with the glasses on like holy crap so said to these people we walk out into the arena and i go to my seats and people are waving and screaming from their seats and we, <laughs> we walk up to the side we sit in the middle middle of the right side of the arena when you're facing the stage and then he comes out and starts with venus and mars and the girl that i was with um just looks at me and goes you know shit if i didn't know better i'd swear that was you up there on that stage Oh. <laughs> and a lot of people, that's when the, the lookalike stuff started to happen. And of course, there were different levels that never come to that point. Yet. And so it looks amazing like that. There's a few pictures on my Facebook page where somebody found the McCartney in exactly a certain way with the glasses on. And there's a shot of me in the exact same pose in 76, just before any sort of makeup, any of that sort of stuff on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so the resemblance got caught then. I was more hard work. I sang more like Roll Rogers. More like, more like a 
you know, just a rocking, rocking sort of vocalist. Uh, Jim McCarty from Cactus. No, not McCarty was a guitar player. Rusty Day from Cactus. So, and I had, I had to clean up my voice to do this show. I had to like find my clean voice, find my head voice, find all this stuff, things like that. Because I, for the longest time when we were on Broadway, I would get hoarse and blow out by about the fourth day of the week. Um, and the understudy would go on for the last three because I was not singing correctly. I hadn't found the head voice yet. I'm belting more like a Broadway singer. Um, <laughs> and um, then I found it. By the time 1978 showed up, by the way, I always say it, when I got to, to L.A., my voice caught up with my face. So and then I could sing anything and be be fine. So pretty, I think we went off topic again, but that's me, Mr. Tangent. So so. Yeah, that's when I first started finding out about it, probably in college and stuff. The very first time when I was 12, and then as the years went on. So pretty great. Now, uh, the other members of Beatlemania, at least the original cast, it was, um, right. did you know any of them previously, or were you just like, no, the, monkey, was, the monkeys it, were... <laughs> yeah, it was, it was all open, private auditions with different people, and um, individual auditions. And the original one, Kenny Laguna, who's Joan Jett's manager and friend, the keyboardist, Still with her on stage, he was he was produced. Went off to do Steve Har produced Steve Harvey. Uh, maybe he's a different Harvey, but not Steve Harvey Harvey. But in in England, um, and he had done. He was in uh, the 1910 Fruit Gum Company and stuff like that. He eventually produced Jones albums. But he was working at Lieber Krebs's offices. He cast all of us. When I walked in and did the the show, if you ever see Beatlemania, the the um, the little 30 minute promo film that opened in every city. There's a, there's a thing in there. The clothes I'm wearing in that thing are exactly the clothes I wore to the, the uh, audition. But I didn't, I still hadn't had the glasses and everything else. So um, I went and did the audition. He's writing furiously as I'm singing half of Yesterday and half of Get Back on an acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw the notes later on. What he had done is he had taken his pen and went, Looks. Oh, okay. He's just like overwriting on everything. Looks close. Um, he looks looks exactly sounds, you know, sounds close. So because I thought he was writing a big die, I think he's writing, writing a big <laughs> dissertation. It just was over and over, just all those letters over and over. So um, he was he was great. But uh, we rehearsed. You know, we, it was that was a lot of fun. That's how that happened. That was a great great audition process, and uh, we all met on the callbacks later on. And I came in, I hadn't seen Leslie. And we walk into, as Joe Pecorino puts it, you walk into the SIR rehearsal studios into the lounge and you have all these different era Beatles. Guy looking like, you know, what, a 65, guy looking like Sgt. Pepper, guy looking yeah. like this. You had Hispanic kids, you had black kids. It was an open audition. Nobody knew what it was for. Wanted Beatle lookalikes for right. a unique opportunity called Mrs. Price. And he said he as he puts it, he was he was there for McCartney. Um and he didn't have his glasses on, he was sitting on the couch. And he said when he saw me, he went, Holy shit, what is Paul McCartney doing here? So you see, and he put his glasses on, and he went, Holy crap. And then he immediately put his glasses on and left them on and auditioned for Lennon on the spot. He just said, I'll I'll do John Lennon. And that's how he got the part, you know. And it really was like the monkeys then, because it wouldn't we didn't have the players. Um and I hadn't played bass before. I was a guitar player still. 
<laughs> so um, they said, would you learn to play bass? Would you learn to lose weight? I said, yeah. I'll learn to lose weight. You know, exactly. I was a little bit heavier. I'm heavier now, but I was little, obviously when I was, like, by the time I got to the show, I was like 130 pounds or whatever, 140 pounds. Um, but I, and I was only like 176 or something, which I'd love to be now, but I'm not. So, but, but he, uh, it was great. So uh, it was a lot of fun. And it was, uh, that's how that went, you know, the audition process. We, we had the callbacks that kept putting us together. We ended up with the original four. Yeah. So how long were you with Beatlemania? I mean, uh, from well, the rehearsal started in, in 1976 in June, mm-hmm. uh, and we I stayed with the show. It opened on Broadway in May, mm-hmm. uh, unofficial opening in May of '77, and then uh, it, I went with it all the way to the end of '79, almost. And then I left. Then I came back to do the motion picture when that was made in 1980. Okay. Actually, I came back to do a tour in 1980, of course, Canada, and all these sort of the huge production up there. It was just like the Broadway show. Mm-hmm. But we were doing like 12 shows a week. Um, the two cast members. And at one point, Tony Fishman, phenomenal performer in his own right, ended up having some issues, muscle issues. And so he had to sit out for a week. And I did all 12 shows a week or 16 of them because Michael Cole, the producer, promoter up there wanted to get every ounce of everything he could and every show was always sold out but by then i could sing all those shows which is almost insane to think about <laughs> but yeah so i did it all the way till then and then did the, the canadian run beginning of 1980 left the show and came back to do the movie so hmm. 1980 was about the end so the movie was done as a separate thing i didn't know that yeah it was it was the huh. Eli, Eli and eli landauer movie producers they had the they had done uh walter Matham movie called Koch. They had done a bunch of different movies. And so mm. they had, uh, they produced the film. Lieber and Krebs were unofficial executive producer, whatever it was. Uh, they, we filmed it live at the Fantasia. We filmed it live at the Long Beach Arena. Mm. Um, uh, there's a, Christina Applegate, she's listed in the, in her first credit as being in the movie. She, they, she, they cut her out of the movie, but she was just some young girl and she lists her credit, which is funny. We found that out years later. I never spoke to her about it. But um, <laughs> but it's all listed everywhere. It's in the first movie, Beatlemania. So it's, I think she just they had some close ups of her and stuff like that. Huh. But it, it, they didn't make it into the movie. I watched that movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would see her anyway. so, um, but yeah, so that's where we filmed it, and then it came. It uh, came out. It was released by American Cinema, and uh, American Cinema actually went. I remember we Joey and I went to go see it. With uh, with our respective you know other people, and we went into. Um, the Ziegfeld in Manhattan, the monstrously huge theater. Mm-hmm. Used to see all the all the towering inferno and all the stuff with all the <laughs> with all the sound, <laughs> sound yeah, Dolby sound stuff like that. So we saw, saw it there. It was like ten people in the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like oh great. Then the world premiere of it was at the Radio City Music Hall, where I sat in the balcony and watched it. We played on we played on top of that marquee before anybody from MTV ever did. And handling whatever whoever did those things, we were the first. That six thousand people in the in the street, mm-hmm. we did that. We did, um, and I went with Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, who sat with us, <laughs> with me to watch the movie. It was it was quite it was quite a, quite, a, quite a fun time back in my life. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what ended uh, Beatlemania? Was it just the lawsuits from the Beatles that well, really it, ended it, it, or was it, it just ra- it? The time came. The know? time came on Broadway for it to end. Uh, it, okay. the, the producers, Lieber Krebs, having made a ton of money when they pre-sold the show to to um, different promoters out of the 
country like the ones that are there. Um, so they were getting tired of doing producing it. I guess it had kind of hit a plateau, plateau sort of mark. Um, I don't think they were losing any money because we still had very big crowds. Um, but Bill Sargent, the promoter who from Australia, who was pretty much well-known for promoting shark fights and stuff like that in the 70s, huge promoter. He was producing on Broadway at a different theater. We were at the Winter Garden. Then we went to the Lunt. He was producing across the street. Um, Danny Aiello's show, where he goes, that's going to be some party. What the heck was it called? And I think... Patty Lupone was in it. All these people. It was a massive, mm-hmm. big Broadway show. The commercials were on it in New, York, in New York all the time for it. But we were, he produced us. And um, he took over the productions. He took over the payroll. It's funny. There was interesting things going on. At Christmas, we got a note from Steve and Dave. <laughs> Leave regrets saying, Christmas would be a little late this year. So we didn't get like a bonus or anything for Christmas. <laughs> when Sargent took the show over, he paid us. If the check bounced, he paid us in cash and bottles of Don Perignon. But eventually it just ran out of steam on Broadway. Mm. And it was still playing in different places. It was still, yeah. still there was some truck companies, all that stuff was going out. So mm. it was it was a it was a money. I believe the number I heard at one point was that they made they made forty seven million dollars on that show. Mm. Uh, we didn't have a piece of it. I was talked mm. out of it by Lever Crow. Um, I so was you just a, were paid a flat fee for any performance. Yeah, it was, I had was a good it? salary, which is perfectly fine. And yeah, the, yeah. In those days, in the seventies, you couldn't spend the money if you wanted to, unless you were <laughs> out of your mind and doing drugs and, <laughs> yeah. and doing whatever it was. So, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, which I was I wasn't doing. You know. That's good. <laughs> so I had, yeah, I was. I also was smart enough to go. This is not where you start out at twenty two or twenty three on Broadway. Yep. So I saved my I saved my money. Of course, the rent was two seventy five. I'm making over a thousand dollars a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you like I said, you could in the, in the good old days when one week salary equaled your rent. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is unheard of, obviously right. now, and nobody knows what the hell that means. So you know, I saved my money. I said this is not going to happen. So sure enough, when the show ended and all, and I had typecast myself mm-hmm. as an Englishman, I lived doing English voiceovers in New York, mm. um, commercials, all the. Ron Delsner's concerts in Central Park and all the mm. all, all of the English voiceovers and stuff like that. Mm. Broadway shows, Slab Boys with Kevin Bacon and Jackie Earl Haley. I did all those sort of voiceovers for it. Um, mm. So, but I couldn't get arrested. Also, the guys in Beatlemania were more like the Beatles themselves. They were pop guys. I was yeah. a guy that, as I said, I came from the rock world, mm-hmm. leaning myself up to do this. Uh, you know, this Jeff Beck thing has hit me because when Blow by Blow came out, I was on the road and I learned everything song every everything and just carry go with a stereo and all my music was more of that sort of style um that i listened to and played so when the when all that started happening and i started wanting to shop some of my demos around i got record company presents including the head of crystal saying i don't have to hear your demo i know what you sound like because the other guys had been shopping they they all sounded like pop guys Hmm. So he wouldn't even, they wouldn't even listen to wow. it. What, what legitimized me was in 1984, I got three songs on a Kiss record on Animalize. Oh. And, and I still, this was the days of leg warmers and, and spandex or whatever, whatever <laughs> you want to wear. And I'm still, I just had my Beatle haircut because I'm doing Beatle shows around oh. the country in, in different Beatle bands and stuff. Oh. Um, but I ended up writing these three songs and ended up on two with, Two with Gene and one with Paul that ended up on Animalize. And people took me a totally different way mm. because you look like this, but you that's you. I mean, right. Yeah. So that kind of legitimized me. 
Yeah. But you worked with uh, at least Gene Simmons. You're on his solo yeah. album, right? The, that yeah. was the Kiss solo album. Was that right. your first? Uh, uh, that was the first. Working? Well, I I had met them before. They they came to okay. when we did the rehearsals in '76. Everybody came through that door. Roberta oh. Flack, <laughs> Roberta Flack, Carly Simon, Farner, who we we laughingly remembered Lou Graham and I that we we did a double bill together on Long Island at my father's place <laughs> in '74. So when he was in the band Black Sheep, yeah. He went, oh, yeah, I remember you. You're the guy that sang that great free medley. And I said, yeah, you're the guy that's <laughs> higher than Paul Rudd. So, um, but, and I made a friends with all those guys in the band. I just spoke to Mick Jones this year on his birthday. And mm -hmm. my poor friend Ian McDonald passed away. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, still talked to them to this point in time. But uh, it was, everybody came through those doors. And one day, these two guys come in the room and it's Paul and Gene. Um, <laughs> And I don't know how we recognize them. It's just the heavy makeup days. Right. I, they may have, I said, these guys look like somebody. And they introduced themselves. Well, aren't Charlie they tall Simmons. guys? Aren't they pretty tall? They're tall guys. Yeah, even yeah. without, they weren't wearing their boots or in yeah, costumes. Yeah. But they were, came into where we were. We were, we were used to rehearse five days a week, four hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, and go through every, uh, you know, it's, what a shame Mary Jane had a, had a pain at the party. I mean, we we played everything. You know, you know my name. So, so we we did all this stuff. So they came in and they sat down on two stools in front of the stage and they they said, "So sing us something." So we went through our rehearsal stuff and then they took the paper and said, "Sing this one, sing this one." So for an entire four hours, we just sang to them. Um, during the rehearsal, during the, the rehearsal session. The door would open in the back, and Peter Chris would come running in, running in in a tracksuit, going like, "Are we rehearsing yet?" And then Peter Paul would turn around and go, "No, Peter, not yet." And so for the entire day, he just kept running in. They kept going, "No." The very last time, we all screamed, "No, Peter, not yet!" He started laughing, and um, I found out later on from Ace that he was in the next room, in the other rehearsal room, waiting for them to rehearse. So I came early. There was catering. There was everything else. But there's no, there's no band. He didn't even know where, where they were, but they were like 30 feet away in a different a rehearsal room. So the next day we, so everybody used to come through. That's how I met a lot of people before even the show started. And they, I remained friends with a lot of them, you know, call them to this day or whatever. So uh, it's pretty interesting. So, but the, I remember we went into their room the next day. They wanted to perform for us. And within the first song, Gene pops a bass string and Ace's head starts smoking. I mean, I knew about the, the, the flaming guitar, but I didn't know about any amp heads starting to smoke and flame, but that's his amp sort of, and the big John Hart's, one of the best you got them, he ushered us out of the room and uh, we didn't see them. They had gone off to go start their tour right after that day. They'd been there for the week and we didn't know they were in there. Um, and then I find out later on that uh, from Lydia Chris, where I'm sitting downtown uh, one night at my Local favorite bar, not local. I'm on the Upper West Side. It's the bars on the on the you know, on the, down on the East Side. Um, and uh, she comes and says, "You." I, she says, "Excuse me, are you Mitch Weissman?" I go, "Yes, I'm Lydia Chris, Peter's wife." I said, "Oh, very nice to meet you." She said, "I just want you to know the boys were absolutely mortified when you came to watch them play. As far as Gene and Paul were concerned, they were. They, it was like performing for the Beatles. And then all this stuff." When Peter said he was so embarrassed, so I just want to let you know they were so uh, they were, they apologize. So I said they have nothing to apologize for, and that's the start of our friendship was from then. So I ended up on Gene's album because he knew I was out there in '78, mm -hmm. and he wanted. And the legend is, and he put it said it in writing, I wanted Paul gone, but their schedules wouldn't 
wouldn't it didn't coincide with my recordings. So I got the next best thing. I mean, high praise indeed. And he got the two of us to come in and sing harmony. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was a Cherokee walking in there was crazy. The first time I, we walked in the door, there's Rick Nielsen and Joe Perry playing ping pong with Rick's guitar picks. <laughs> there's uh, there's uh, Phoebe Snow finishing up her vocals in the ISO booth. Mm-hmm. Um, when Gene wanted to give us a couple of his T-shirts, he had Cher come down from her house up in the in Coldwater Canyon and bring us the T-shirts. So the window rolled. She had the flu. She came down, rolled the window down, handed them to me, and rolled the window back up. And, and was gone. So it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, would, I that's when I first met George Martin because he was in the next room producing America. Mm-hmm. And Joey, our lives were filled with all kinds of people. Joey was dating Deborah Lee Scott, Hotsy Totsy from no. Welcome Back Hotter. So she came running into the room saying, "Mitch, you got to come next door. This George Martin's next door." So, so <laughs> I sang, I thanked him for the Beatle albums, and she and he said, "Don't thank me, thank him." And there's Jeff Emmerich sitting at the. Floor. Oh, wow. <laughs> So it was a whirlwind sort of life. It was great, mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah. What did uh, George or Jeff think of your looks? Did they? They think that we didn't have time to think. They obviously oh, knew who yeah. I who I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Time, years, I was just wondering later. if there was any like Paul conversations at that no, point. No, no. They because... probably smiled and we probably yeah. all chuckled. I mean, but it was uh, yeah, it yeah. was great. Yeah, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't you... in my I wasn't in my beetle bangs. My hair was parted in the center, whatever. Oh, okay. But, I mean, my looks were my looks. I had a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, you even yeah. now you have. You know, I could tell, you know, it's well, like you have gr- that. He's got gray hair now. I yeah. have gray hair now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing that's weird is my wife and I left, but is my, my mustache is still black. Yeah. I can't figure that one out. Yeah. I can't figure And usually I have a goatee, but this time it's too yeah. lazy. So yeah. I'm just like even mine, good. you know, it's yeah. gray, you know, it's like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So mine is, it's, it's a very weird thing. I don't want a regular mustache. I don't want a mustache. So I'm, I'm not leaving it as just a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I let's guess, go back to the let's go back to the turtles. The turtles. Okay. Well, let's see which one to do. Actually, I will say this, and this will lead into the turtles because you mentioned okay. somebody that has an early appearance with the turtles, and you probably go, "Ooh, uh, Christina Applegate." One of her earliest performances was with Flo and Eddie when they were doing their children's albums, and it was oh a Strawberry God. Shortcake album. And Holy Toledo! She, I think she voices. I think it is Strawberry Shortcake that she voices. Wow. On the record. And of course, Mark Volman and Howard Kalin did songs not only for Strawberry Shortcake, but uh, Care Bears and G.I. Joe and right. a few other kids, kids' albums during the early 80s. So I don't know. It, when did you meet up with the Turtles then? Um, I, well, we had met each other a bunch of times in New York, okay. and I had friends that played with them in the band. Chris Apostle um, played keyboards. Um, everybody in the band I knew. So if I, we ran each other in clubs and stuff like that, I would, we would see them. I, I actually went to see them at the bottom line once. Oh, yeah. um, it's got to be late 80s or something like that. Yeah. Uh, um, and so I saw them perform a few times. The next time I saw them, before I did the tour in 2012, they were doing Hippie Fest oh, um, yeah. <laughs> with Mountain. They were the they were the MC. They were the Turtles, but they emceed everything for all the acts, the same way they did on the Happy Together tour. And they were funny. It's the first time I... They started talking about taking drugs, but now we take Lipitor and whatever. You know, instead of the heavy drug days, now it's this. Um, so they were very cordial when I saw them at Gibson Amphitheater. I mean, we've, we've always had a love each other whenever we bump into each other, airports or something. This, the Happy Together Tour, and how I got to work with them finally was at Godfrey Townsend, the musical director, and my friend, um, who he credits me with giving him his start to go to the big leagues. He had gotten out of New York and came with me to Laughlin, Nevada in 1995 
to do a sit-down show that had stars coming in in and out. Everybody from Tiny Tim, Dennis Yost, Pat Upton, I love you more today than yesterday. I mean, all these different artists came through. Um, Mitch Ryder, who did his songs so fast, I have no idea how anybody could ever sing them, but we but we had to. Joey Mullen from Badfinger. Um, it's a revolving cavalcade. And then he got the call from the Entwistle camp to do that to do that band that he left. So he, um, I saw them, I think in Atlantic City also before that, they were doing a David Fishoff show where they had the turtles, they had the, they had the birds, one of the versions of the birds with some of the real yeah. guys in it. And I forgot who else. Fishoff said to me, I can't use you, you're not a real guy. Where they put you're you in, in the show. You know? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, take it, I didn't take it as an insult. I knew what it was. Like, I knew him from back then. Yeah. So, um, so I had made a name for myself for all, all kinds of people, but there were different logistical reasons not to, I mean, to do it. So, and then a lot of my friends, like the guys from, later on, the guys from Foreigner, Mick Jones and stuff like that, he says, I would hire you, but we're friends. And the whole dynamic ends once you're my friend and then you work for me. I won't be able to yell at you if something wrong with my friend. I said, yeah. So in other words, I can't have a job because you have a problem. So we would just laugh about that. But I made a lot of friends with people with people doing auditions for their projects and not working out. And then I would basically go, so, okay, so what are we doing? What are you doing for dinner next week? And they would just go like, did you hear me? I'm not hiring you. I said, yeah, but didn't we get along the last two weeks? So what do you want? <laughs> yeah. And so I have a lot of friends like that. The Kiss guys, they turned me down for years for writing. Um, and then one year it just hits. You know all these songs, but they they jokingly said like, <laughs> um, "What did you eat? What did you do different? What 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 might made this happen?" So yeah, so the turtles. though, Godfrey in nineteen in two thousand twelve called me said the tour is going on. You're a great bass player. And you can probably do this. Um, you have to play bass for the Mickey Dolans. You have to play bass for Gary Puckett. You have to play bass for the Turtles. And I'm missing one. Who am I forgetting? Was it um, yeah. Spanky and Argang that year? No, that wasn't that year. Association? Uh, you had the, not the association, that was, oh. um, you had the grassroots, but of course Mark Dawson mm-hmm. is that guy. And um, I think you play, oh, no, I know, I actually only played for three because the other one was okay. um, was uh, kind of a drag. I don't know what the, uh, what's that? Buckingham's. Oh, yeah. And their bass player still around. It's okay. great. And, I was gonna, uh, fantastic. The other one I was going to mention is Cow Sills, but probably not. That yeah, one. no, that was a, that was after okay. all. So. Okay. So, but I did that one tour. Mm-hmm. There was some certain, I think nothing ever happened that wasn't good. It was some production stuff that was a pain. They didn't ask me back to do something else. I was fine on stage. And what it was, Mark, I mean, when they would introduce the band, um, Mark and uh, Howard had the greatest intro for me and stuff like that. And I would play a little bit of the Day Tripper and stuff like that. And I think he called me the, not the Portly Paul or something like that. <laughs> So it was, it was pretty funny. So I, I had no, they were great. They were very, very, they were very, very fantastic and uh, always very supportive and down to earth and human, you know. I, you know, I'm glad I did that tour with Howard because obviously he's not touring now. Right. And you've got Ron Dante. And I actually, every once in a while, I send him a message and he's messaged me back and stuff. So this will probably prompt me to, to do it. So it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, it was just a one year, basically, or for me, it was in one year. Yeah, I mean, we talked, yeah. we still talked after that, kept yeah. in touch. So for whatever reason, I didn't do the subsequent ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I actually almost didn't do that one. But John Montagna, who was usually the bass player in these figurations, and played with Godfrey in the Alan Parsons project, 
and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. He was selling his house or something in Brooklyn that summer. Mm-hmm. So he had to be home for that whole thing. So I, and he was, he and I were friends. So I think he recommended me as well. And Godfrey said, no brainer. And it was, it worked out fine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think yeah. he came back at that. Yeah. Um, now, what were the performances like? Were they just like the big hits and then like comedy shtick between songs? Yeah, comedy so, shtick know, between so. songs. And they did, yeah. it was the hits. That's what you remember. They did Peaches and Regalia as a big instrumental piece leading into, um, Happy Together, I think it was. Um, yeah. Something else. But they did, we did, um, I wish they'd done Eleanor, but they didn't do Eleanor. Really? Um, it, yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was the hit. So it was one of the ones that wasn't there, but I, I can't, I can't remember the list now. Yeah. Um, but it was mostly uh, the hit. She would rather yeah. be with me. You yeah, showed me. rather be with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you showed me. Yeah. Um, what am I forgetting? It's out of my brain it now. It ain't me, baby. Ain't me, babe. Ain't me, babe. Actually, baby. I don't think they, no, yeah. I, they did oh. you, baby. I think we did you, baby, but I don't think we did it ain't me, babe. Oh, whatever reason. Yeah. They had enough hits. To go I guess around, maybe so, you know, yeah, because they have about ten to fifteen hits, depending on what you count. But it's like I yeah. guess over time, because you know they toured forever. Yeah, um, well, everybody. You know, did. I guess they get tired of certain ones and they drop them out of the set list for a time. You yeah, know? exactly. I can't. I can But you always have to have happy together, so you know. Always like, have to have it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Did you uh sing as well, or did you play yeah. any other instruments? Or I only played bass on this tour. Got okay. played guitar. You had Manny Focarazzo on the keyboards. Mm-hmm. Focarazzo on the keyboards. He was great. Steve Murphy on drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically could play anything. And of course, when a- Wayne Abrams came in to play guitar, so we had him and Godfrey on guitars for the for the monkey stuff or for Mickey stuff. Um, Gary Puckett. Uh, there was just just a four piece band backing him up. And Manny's an amazing keyboard guy, so we could play the multiple keyboards. We had a, all the orchestra parts and everything and stuff like that. Steve's vocal prowess was amazing. He could sing anything, all the harmonies. So we we had everything covered for all this sort of stuff. Um, it was great. I didn't, get, I didn't have to go to the piano. I wasn't doing Maybe I'm Amazed. I wasn't doing that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. You know, so, so it was great. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty easy gig, especially now that I think about it. I only played the three of the, three of the five acts. Mm-hmm. I got paid the same amount of money. So interesting. Okay. Well, how, how bad was that? Got, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, just let me know who else you worked with over the years. I mean, I really honestly only know about the Kiss uh, yeah. uh, and uh, Turtles. And when I first announced, when I first announced I was going on this tour, Peter Noon reminded me you were a hermit before you were any of those guys. Uh, because okay. <laughs> I played with I played with him in the in the nineties and Frank Annunziato was when he was doing Peter Noon. Then he eventually got the name back with, to do Hermits Hermits featuring Peter Noon. Oh yeah, because there was two the Hermits Hermits story without him. But to get right. more obviously to have a better act, he's he's now he's Hermit. So um, and I still talk with him, which is funny. Um, <laughs> but he was we played I went all around the country with him. We had the Beatles band, me and David Leon from the Beatlemania movie. Um, and I'm rotating different guys. And actually, Chris Camilleri, who's been playing on the Happy Together tour for the last bunch of years after Steve left it, um, he was the drummer at Beetlefest. He was that the Liverpool drummer for years. So he's done other shows. He works with, I think, Tony Kishman's Live and Let Die show. So um, although I haven't spoken with him in a while, so I'll call him after this one. So, so he, <laughs> it's funny. It's a, call everyone. You forget to call. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do now with my phone. It's no, no more texting crap. Somebody's birthday, you call them, you know. It's yeah. like, don't you remember this is what it was for? Yeah. Call people. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is this is a great thing about the new phones. You can call yeah. and actually see people. 
You know, yeah, so. this is kind of like the the yeah. way I do long calls now with people. It's yeah. like it became yeah. a podcast. You know, I don't do. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't do. Um, I don't do the. I don't have an iPhone, so I don't do whatever it is, FaceTime. Yeah. But my phone is capable of it. So if somebody calls me and wants to do it here, you can do it around the world. I've, it's fun to see somebody you haven't seen in a long time. Right. Um, so now all the all these people you played with over the years, uh, yeah. were you always just playing the bass then? And once you got stuck with the bass with Beatlemania, pretty or? much because actually I'm a, I, I, if I say so myself, and other people say it, I actually am a pretty damn good bass player. So um, <laughs> and uh, I mean that's what they say. So I've been asked to play bass on. I sang on Ace's Ace. There's an Ace Frehley tribute album done years ago called "Remember Me," um, which had Dimebag Darrow on it, all these different artists, Richie Scarlett. Um, lots of name artists from that sort of field, no kiss guys, but singing and uh, no ace, but singing these songs. So I played bass on Remember Me, and then the lead vocalist didn't work out, so I ended up singing lead on it, which was a quasi quasi Steven Tyler sort of vocal track to me. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and a raspy voice, whatever. So it was, it was fun. I mean, I, I basically get known for either vocals or something like that to do backgrounds and stuff. I don't really. I have played piano on other people's tracks, but not not a lot. Usually, it's like, can you can you play bass on this? Or a lot of people just want me to come and sing, and yeah. it's either backgrounds or anything. So I just add to that. I haven't, I haven't done a lot of vocal projects. The last the last thing I did last year, there was a Kiss tribute album called um, uh, Buffalo Rock City. Mm-hmm. Um, that's done by a Kiss tribute band up there, and they had different people play on it. Different lots of people in the Kiss world that that I mean, lots of Gene Simmons guys are on the his solo band members play on it. They did one of mine and Gene's songs that was on Animalize, no, Animalize, or Crazy <laughs> Nights. And I forgot the song now, but I I sang it. Um, mm. It's the first time ever that anybody that's ever written with Kiss has been on a, actually performed a Kiss song. The writer doing it, so I did that last fall. And now I have to do in January now a song, an unreleased song that Gene and I wrote called "What You See Is What You Get," and I'm actually doing the vocals for that at the end of this month. That's oh. coming out. It's coming out later this year. So, um, how's it coming out? Is it on a tribute album again, or is I it think on it's another the... tribute album. It's, okay. it's raised okay. charity stuff up there, but mm-hmm. all the guys from the Kiss were like Jay Messina mastered the album. All these different people that were in their camps mm-hmm. all performed on it, yeah. and I so I'm singing a new song, mm-hmm. one that was never released. I have all I have a bunch of co-writes that were never released. Yeah. There's been plans for me to put an album out of the unreleased songs, and even some of the other ones, my versions of the stuff that I wrote. Yeah. But it just hasn't happened, and and COVID hit, and all this other stuff hit, and, right? And uh, <laughs> and then it's just it's it's been different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, since uh, Kiss is like doing like their farewell tour, which seems to be taking forever because of COVID and everything. COVID, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you seen them on any of the dates or anything like that? I didn't. Or, okay. They weren't. Cl- they they played in Seattle. I'm up in the Pacific Northwest now, so when they played right. the Seattle one, I didn't go. My friend Stefan Adika, who has that podcast artists on record or coffee talk he went he's very good friends with eric singer they played in bands together years ago so he went there saw the show posted some videos and stuff and it's great so i mean he says a lot of them for me i haven't spoken to paul in years and i'm not quite sure if we're still <laughs> still on speaking terms i don't remember what happened uh, <laughs> <That's> but <scary. laughs> uh, but recently i wished him happy birthday and i got a heart back so okay. I, I think things just, it might be thawing who knows yeah, no, I think I think the years of therapy and a couple of books gets a lot of stuff out of your system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we were we were the closest of friends, him and Gene and I. It was yeah. a, very odd to the people in the office that they actually shared a friend by that mm-hmm. point. 
because they had separate lives, but they were kids, but they were they didn't really the three of us just go, go around all the time, and they yeah. couldn't figure out how the hell that would happen. So yeah. um, it was fun. You, know. you mentioned that uh, they uh, accompanied you to the Beatlemania film. That's right. Is, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you hang out, do other things with them over the years? Or is that no, like... no, that was a one-off for that film. Yeah. I did a couple other things. A guy, uh, Kenny Weiss, Rock'em Sock'em Productions, and uh, they did a, they did this movie with Armand Asante called Waiting for an Echo. They mm-hmm. did another movie later on. They they were involved with Crosby, Stills, and Nash back then, and uh, Kenny. And uh, Arnie, Arnie, the other partner of his, um, he's now he's now known as uh, Tokyo. What's he called now? I can't remember now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's okay. but Arnie and they had a thing. They worked with Donna Summer a lot and yeah. stuff like that way back when I met her. They introduced me to her a few times at the Garden when she was getting ready to do shows. This is like in the the eighties or nineties, sometime actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I didn't do any other stuff with. Genius. If I did some other records for other people, um, yeah, just like I said, hired hand, hired whatever stuff like that. And, Can you um, name some of the I, other albums? Just I'm trying to idea. remember the damn stuff I did. I'm telling you, I, I <laughs> forgot. A couple, I haven't thought about this in so long. I can't remember the place that I, I did hand claps on or ooze or whatever. I, I, right. I'm forgetting. I did a lot of live stuff. The, the Trying to Club, there were a lot of live gigs. And a lot of times, I would be the singer for the band that didn't have the lead singer show up, and um, so. Uh, Guitar, I was a guitarist for Farner when Mick Jones didn't show up. And Lou Graham, Lou Graham was going to come down and sing, but he said it was Joe Lynn Turner. And the rest of the band was the guys from Carmine Rojas, Steve, uh, Steve um, Longo, played with Ennett Whistle, um, Alan Childs, who was with Bowie, um, Chuck Kentis, who, they were Rod Stewart's band, something like that. They were the house band. And I would be the music minus one guy. Whoever didn't show up, I would play the others. Basically, in those things, I never played bass. But I did play lead <laughs> guitar. I did sing vocals. I did harmony. Vocals, I did play some keyboards. Which was funny. Yeah. So you did um, play other stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah interesting. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did a lot of live performances. Yeah, I've been I've performed with Julian Lennon on stage. Hmm. Done a bunch of bunch of stuff. Just, but I don't have my resume in front of me. I have to. I almost have to <laughs> dig it out to remember what I did. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't blame me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, do you currently tour with anybody right at the present no. time? Are you kind of retired? I'm, or are you taking I'm a I'm kind or? of semi. I guess I know whether I'm semi-retired or not. We moved up to Washington through a series of events. I was working in Sam Ash for years in Hollywood. And then my wife and I, she was going to go work in Alaska. I was going to go with her. Wow. Figured I could do a lot of projects up there on my own. Write a book maybe. Who knows what? I have a couple of outlines done by other authors who were too busy, who I did some the stuff for the Kiss books and things like that. The authors actually didn't have the time to do it on their scheduling. So they actually gave me the, the outlines to, to do a book, and I just haven't done it yet. Um, I need an editor, and I need a, I need a handheld recorder. Um, yep, yep. Or just do, do it in the computer. Do it like this, you know. Yeah, so exactly. So I um, haven't done I guess I, I don't know whether I'm semi-retired or not. I'm having some dental issues, mm. um, and... So I need to fix those, but unfortunately, in this country, dental is the most expensive thing to fix at all. Uh, and my insurance is good through my work, but it's not that good. Mm. So I actually am thinking of there's a there's an association out there that helps musicians and actors and things like that. So um, they actually help us move up here. Um, so I may call them again to say, okay, tell me about dental. There's a bunch of other people I know who've had catastrophic situations. They paid four hundred thousand dollars. 
Ooh, operations, you name it. I mean, if you have yeah. the credits and the history, you something comes back to you if yeah. you're in a different, difficult situation. So when when did you move to Seattle then? Moved to Seattle at the beginning of 2019. Oh, okay. So it's pretty recent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had moved. Then... We had moved out of LA on the way to Alaska. Decided not to do it. Stayed in Atwater or Modesto, not Modesto, mm-hmm. California. Um. I've Different city, not Modesto, but maybe it is. Um, <laughs> and then we left from there. I got a job offer to work for a company called Solo Dallas on a, uh, as their national marketing guy. Um, I put together by David Krebs of Libra Krebs fame and producers and Aerosmith and ACDC and you name it. So David put us together, drove down there, met him at the beach, um, had a great time. Got the deal going, moved out of that water down to Orange County to get an apartment, and somehow that whole thing soured and left us on the side of the road. Um, and it was like two days after I'd gotten them into Sam Ash to sell their products because this is a great product that was not getting not yet in any stores. And David was told by my friend Bob Kelleher, uh, who used to be the production manager for Aerosmith, said Mitch is doing great at Sam Ash, and so he put us together. Uh, I mean, of course, I'd love Sam Ash by that point. He said, you should meet with Phil. And Phil, um, you know, it's the solo Dallas guy. And we got along famously. He said, move down to Orange County. You don't have to come to San Diego. And somehow everything went wrong. Hmm. So uh, we were literally left in motels while we were looking for a place to live. Wow. So Peter Newton actually called and said, like, come on, see my show. He was in Beverly Hills. <laughs> so we drove to Beverly Hills saw the show. Yeah, make mm-hmm. you feel better. So, um yeah, and eventually I have another friend up here I did some gigs with. Mm-hmm. And then we were getting after doing crowdfunding, whatever it was, and nothing really. Thank God I didn't get another job back in Los Angeles because if the pandemic had hit and the prices that everything is down there, I don't know where we would have been. Yeah. Um, and when, so did up you, here. when did you move to LA then? I mean, I guess you were. Oh, in New York. 2003. 2003. Okay. So before yeah. that, you're based in New York. Or New York yeah, area. exactly. Okay. Yeah, my okay. friends and okay. my friends I used to do the Beatles shows go, you keep threatening to move to LA. <laughs> all the time and you just don't go yeah. well my wife Jackie who was who was in the other room because she can't listen to this stuff anymore um, <laughs> she oh, said, please, come on. <laughs> yeah, so she said she, she said to me I'm going to California you can come sure, she got a job offers out there she actually didn't even have the job offer she just said I'm backing up and going and through a bunch of connections whatever she became a very celebrated artist I eventually sold my after 9-11 it took a while, but I actually sold my apartment, which I had, you know, was an inherited thing. So it's so it's all found stuff. You know, property values it down went down a little bit, but still, I walked away with all the money. Um, I found out later on the guy who bought it flipped it, and I don't even want to tell you what he got for it. So, uh, but, he, but he made improvements and everything else that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, um, so uh, I moved out, and we and as I say all the time, luckily we're still together because I could I could have shown up and should get the hell out of here, but no, <laughs> and now we're married, so it's great. Oh, that's <laughs> it's cool. great. Yeah. Now, um, I want to bring up something that you know I'm sure you've discussed on other podcasts, but I just have to ask about it. Um, it's um, uh, how did you? I mean, obviously, is because of how you looked, and uh, let me preface this: I originally. Yeah. You know how the memory p- plays tricks on you. Sure I does. thought I thought you did a cameo appearance on Laverne and Shirley, but it wasn't. It was Joni Loves Chachi. Exactly. So. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, how did this come about? How it came about was yeah. that I was doing 
the show called Lennon that was done at the Antimedia Theater off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was written by a guy named Bob Eaton from England, and he put it on at the Everman Theater in Liverpool. And then Sid Bernstein and a few other produ- uh, producers and somebody got together and brought the show to New York, to the Intermedia. I They had asked me to, uh, to audition for it, and I didn't really want to do another Beatles show. This was an interesting production because everybody played different characters. David, uh, Robert Lupone, Patty's brother was in the show as a John Lennon. Mm-hmm. David Patrick Kelly from The Warriors and all these other things. Remember, Sally, I told you I wouldn't kill you. I lied. He dropped off the block in 48 <laughs> hours or whatever, whatever that movie was. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, he was in 48 hours, too. But he he um, he was another Lennon. You had this guy comes in one day to audition. And his name is Greg Martin, M-A-R-T-Y-N. When he got the role, he then told everybody, my father's actually George Martin. And George Martin came in to talk to all of us when we were rehearsing at the top Radio City Music Hall, one of the big dance rooms up there. And it was great. Vincent Irizarry, soap opera star. I mean, all these people. I just became the understudy for Vincent and all the multiple roles that he played. Little, small, small little roles. Um, so he was McCartney. And I didn't want to be in it. So I got, so I, and Joey became an understudy for somebody else. Um, he wasn't, there was no, well, there was two Lennons already in the show, but they were bigger actors. Um, so it was really an amazing show. And I became the musical supervisor. Um, so I, got all these actors who weren't really musicians to be able to play all these songs. Some of them were trained and, and I didn't know how I was going to get the sheet music for it, but I didn't know anything about copyists. Then you could take an album to somebody and then this guy would write all the music out. Um, and actually the guy who was our, our musical supervisor on Beatlemania said, you'd be great for this job and you can do this and I'll show you how you're going to do it. So I didn't have to learn to, read music any differently for the guys that were classically trained you got the music done for the guys that weren't that some of the actors i wrote out these amazing charts with dots and dashes and stuff that went up and down and they could read it they could understand what it meant so it it wasn't like tab maybe it is because i don't even know tab worth crap but the point <laughs> is it was a whole series of, when i was rehearsing for the beatlemania movie in in um, in 1980 i was flying out from new york to do it and I'm on the on the with my Walkman. I'm on the plane with this whole series of dots and darts, because that's how I knew what the bass parts were. I didn't write it in bass clef or anything like that. I just knew yeah. this meant you go here, this meant you went down, this meant you went in the <laughs> yeah. middle, and it's all. And it, to me, it was like easy. And I t- taught a few of the musicians how to do that on synthesizer parts and stuff like that. A lot of fun. I taught Robert Lupone how to play saxophone. Mm-hmm. I learned how to play saxophone so that I could teach him how to play saxophone. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was pretty insane. So a lot of fun, but yeah, I don't know where we were, but that's where we well, are. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, from that, how how did you get uh, the Joni loves Chachi thing? I mean, it's yes. like, and, so and who did you talk? Did you talk to uh, Gary Marshall or anybody like that, or no? Okay, that's how it started. So I'm doing okay. that show, teaching these guys whatever it is, mm-hmm. and I am understudying Greg Martin, um, who's playing Ringo in multiple parts. Right. Not, oh, that's right. I'm not even understudying Vincent. There's a Greg injured his hand at one point and was out for a week. And my and my ex partner has a bunch of photos of us all on stage together. And I'm playing Ringo. You got Vincent doing Paul. <laughs> you got David Patrick Kelly as John. Uh, this guy, um, God, Lee. I forgot Lee's last name. Great guitar player. He came accompanying some other John Scardino, another big actor back then. He didn't get the role, so Lee got the George Harrison other part role. Uh, and, and I'm back there on drums, which is pretty funny, uh, for a week. So what happened was 
I get the call from from Randy Clark, who was a, the second Lennon in Beatlemania. They're doing an episode of Johnny Lutrachi where they meet a Beatle or somebody they think is a Beatle. Yeah, it's Marvin Opazika. Marvin Opazika, yeah. So, and Joey <laughs> I had Pine, to write it down because I wouldn't remember this. Yeah, Mo, Marvin Opazika, M-O-P, Mop Top. So and yeah. Joni puts this together in her head where she's a candy striper in the hospital. Right. Um, so they're watching everybody, and, and Randy, very out of his own goodness and heart, said, you really should audition Mitch. Um, so I get a call from Bobby Hoffman, the casting director at Paramount, on all those shows. From you know Laverne and Shirley, everything he was he was casting up, casting guy. So he says to me, "That's his part, and we'll do it if you want to be in it." Um, and I think they had called the Weber Krebs offices first to find any guys in California that could do this. And I remember being in the office and the call came. I said to Carol, Steve's assistant, I said, "Tell him I'm sitting here. Tell him I'm sitting." Here. <laughs> and so they put me on the phone. He goes, "Mitch Weissman, would you want to do this role?" I said, "Absolutely." So they wrote the episode. They wrote the episode because it was, and I said I would do it. And that's how I got that. That's how I got it. Joni Lowe's job. You know, I'll never, never forget when I'm, when I got out there to Paramount. Um, uh, Daryl Morey, I still talk to him from the show. Bobby, I forgot his name. Bob, who was a, played Bingo, the, the drummer. Um, to where I met Ty Babylonia, and I still talk with her occasionally. Her, her father was a, was a security guard on the Paramount lot. So he asked me for an autograph from her, and I and I said, "Only if you get me your daughter's autograph." So, um, so when I'm signing everything, and, and uh, what do you call it? John Travolta, Ellen Travolta's uh, John's sister was great. Al Marinaro was great. They were all very nice people, and, and Scott Baio was fantastic. I used to go see him when he'd come to New York to do the car shows at the Javits Center. Hmm. Oh, oh no, when it was across from wherever the Trump Plaza was, whatever that area was there, the convention center there. Was it um, Columbus Circle in the old Columbus days? Circle? Yeah, yeah there was something yeah. there. It turned into like the uh, AOL headquarters and whatever it was, and yeah. <laughs> Warner's maybe I can't remember. So, but I would go visit him, and the kids would go crazy because he'd go, "Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Weisman, Marvin Opazika," you know. So, so it was a lot of fun. Um, but I ended up where were we? Where were we there? I got off track already. No, so I, that, they I would go to Paramount, and there's Sylvester Stallone in the commissary. There's all these people in the commissary, like normal. Because yeah. everybody's in the same room. I remember walking down the down the. Um, this is years later. It's Henry Winkler once when I got to seventy eight said to me, "You can't jaywalk here." I'm going, "Holy shit!" The Fonz is telling me, "Don't jaywalk." <laughs> um, and he remembered me from that from that incident. So because we they, they took us over to the Happy Days set to see, see people, yeah. Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Um, it's always fun when you're walking down Manhattan years later and Penny Marshall goes, hi, Mitch. You know, I have a lot of people that used to say hi to me and my friends would go, what? Everybody You leave an impression. Yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. Cheers um, without being in cheers. Everybody knows your name. Yeah. So the experience, it was just the one show. So you didn't, it, did you aspire to do any more acting or is it just yeah, I actually, thing? I actually got offered by ABC a contract player part role this is before the, obviously before they all ended so like do episodic stuff i mean whatever maybe you should see shows i mean it was that uh, tony tomopoulos tomopoulos the head of the network said we want to talk to you about now at that point in time 1980 my dad had was struggling with liver cancer i actually had gone out to california to do this thing not knowing whether i should still be in new york or not but he was still under control and stuff 
he uh, he ended up he was going to have a surgery to do an implant and everything and stuff like that. And he ended up going on this chemotherapy that I actually thought about it. I was you should go see the doctors that worked on your sister. There's a genetic tie here. She had gotten a tumor in her body, and she actually in the days before phones or cell phones, computers, she kind of diagnosed self-diagnosed herself by reading encyclopedia that the reason why she was a big woman. She had a basketball-sized tumor, in her, and she had to find it by going to a different doctor. And they used this stuff called platinum and radiation treatment, and she outlived my father. But eventually, when he before he got the implant and everything else, I said, go see the people at Cedar sinai um, And he did, and they put him on the same medication, and then we got a call at the end of 1980 saying, you should start thinking about doing something for the next five years because your tumor is shrinking. Mm. It was a pretty, not 1985, maybe. I don't remember when it was, but he was he was living. He was starting to get better, but the, it just, it couldn't be, it couldn't save him, the mm. medication. So, that, but they had offered me to do become a contract player and I couldn't move out of New York at the time. Mm. I just didn't do it. And they totally understood, you know, just be with your family, whatever it was. And, uh, yeah. I'm glad but, I did. Cause I was re- yeah. When I was researching your career, I figured yeah. I'll look them on, on IMDB. There must be a laundry list of things you did. It's like, uh, no, no, <laughs> no there's like, not. Oh. Cause I, I kind of pulled out then, which is, yeah. I had, yeah. I know I had money from the kiss records, I had all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, well, that was late. That was later on, but I still had plenty of money left over from from Beatlemania because I did not spend it, mm-hmm. and you could live forever on X amount of dollars a year, right. um, and I did. And then I did live shows and that something other things. And then the Kiss yeah, records. Yeah, I mean, you weren't just doing nothing. So you yeah, know, the yeah. Kiss records paid the royalties. Kiss records paid the royalties for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were huge. <laughs> um, I made I made six figures off of those two records. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, so you know that and that lasted a long time. But um, mm-hmm. not as long as you should have. <laughs> <laughs> Call them up. Call. Yeah, exactly. Call Gene and no, it's on, not their, It wasn't their fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do something else. Now, yeah. as Gene says, there's no money in records anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with streaming, you don't make anything. Did you ever see the podcast of Desmond Child talking about how many downloads of Living on a Prayer there is and how much money he made? It's like, it's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Millions and millions of downloads, and I have like $20,000. So, yeah. so there's, you know, thank God he made it on the album. Yeah, you know, exactly. And the other stuff he does. Yeah. yeah. So it's crazy. I I love getting my checks from Google for four cents, seven <laughs> cents. You know, <laughs> you know, it's pretty pretty weird. I should I should write a book. I'll get better royalty. No. <laughs> well, that was one question I did have. You know, are you yeah. writing a book like about yourself or anything else? Yeah. I I've been keep people keep after they hear some stories and stuff keep saying you should write a book and I just haven't I can't get my mind together I'm still working you know to support myself even though it's much cheaper here up here we have a sweetheart deal on rent and stuff like that but the time is not there for me to concentrate on doing it and I almost right. have to go away to do it or go to some other author's house and just go ahead start three quarter let's go yeah, that's true. a stream of consciousness and a good editor that's about it you know so I'm, I have no plans yet I have, I have the outlines but no plans yeah <laughs> Well, I hope you eventually get to it. Um, yeah, me too. Um, so at this point, any other things you're working on or anything else, anything you'd Nothing. like to plug or promote or a website? No, I, or... I appreciate it. No, my, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I do not have a www.mitchweisman.com site, um, but I am on Facebook. Uh, just look for the picture with me 
and uh, Michael Jackson and <laughs> Steven Tyler and uh, <laughs> who, what's his name? Um, oh, yeah, Andy Warhol. Uh, <laughs> you're on the right page. There's a fan page out there, too, and stuff like that. But that's I can be reached there anytime. Um, and you can uh, you can find me. I'm around. But at the moment, I'm just kind of laying low, getting living my life, enjoying my time with my wife. And, um, and I've been making plans for the future, but the future is not here yet. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And doing things like this. And I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate yeah. it. And, and we have to thank Charles Rosene for suggesting yes. it. It's great. Yes. Yeah. And we'll be using your comments in our upcoming Turtles book. We interviewed uh, a lot of other people, including a few of the real actual Turtles. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty close to being done. We've signed an agreement with a, a, a new publisher. So I mean, they publish other music books and things like that. So uh, we're kind of excited about it. Um, the first, uh, the Turtles record, I guess the one that had Let Me Be on it. And um, I, I got to work with, with, uh, with, Phil, God, my brain just went. Who wrote all those damn songs back then? Well, there's um, different writers, but a lot of um, yeah. Um, what's his name? Who wrote uh, "Even Destruction"? Um, oh, um, uh, the... God, my brain just right? since passed away. Jeff <laughs> Sloan. Jeff Sloan. Yeah, yes. Phil Sloan. I, told, I say Phil. I can't remember this. Yeah. I worked with Phil. I did a tour with him. So I used yeah. to go to his house and work on some stuff with him before that. But his, his song, his songs were great. "Let Me Be" was one of my favorite songs. I it bothers me they don't do that in concert. Um, you know, now it's um, how well can Ron sing that song? I don't know. I think Ron actually is decent. Ron is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's like you know, I think what's missing because I have seen uh, current videos on YouTube and stuff like that is kind of the humor because Ron's more of just a straight singer. He doesn't joke around much. You know, I mean, Howard's dark side and Howard's cantankerous part and singers and stuff made it so perfect. The two of them were perfect foils. Yeah. Um, they came out doing their opening act, and that tour was doing. It came out doing Lady Gaga. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Your so, mic's kind of doing something funky. Uh, I, don't I, don't I don't know if it's. Am here. I still there? Am I here? Was it under your shirt? Did it go off there. Yeah. It's, is this better? Better, yeah. yeah. I think it went under okay, your. Good. I think it went under your jacket there, did. and then it's like it's. Yeah, exactly. Blah, 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 blah. So repeat <laughs> right. the last thing like you said about. I said uh, no. The beginning, the, like Howard and Mark's on stage stuff is amazing. I mean, yeah. they're they're a rapport. So they yeah. used to open the show. Mark would come out dressed as Lady Gaga, and they do the whole rah 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 rah. You know, so it was pretty funny as hell. So you just had funny moments, and of course, as Howard could ad lib. As the show would go on, and so did Mark. So even though they had their stick, they would put new stuff in all the time. Some yeah. of it would be topical, whatever was happening in the news or something like that. So mm-hmm. it was really, really great. It was a lot of fun working with them. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the idea of them traveling in a car together from show to show was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Just the two of them. I'd like to have been in that car, yeah. but apparently they didn't. <laughs> they didn't talk much in the car. I think yeah. Mark listened to stuff on headphones, or maybe maybe Howard did. I don't remember. Yeah. But. Um, they were great. They were great to hang out with and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can catch uh, the Howard Kalen interview we transcribed. It's actually on Plastic EP show, not on my podcast. Is it really? Podcast. Okay, great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it, we the main thing Charles and I wanted to know is, is he sick? Is he well? You know, it, why is he not touring anymore? And he is doing better. And the, the basic thing was, you know, hell, I'm 73 years old. 
I've right. done it all. I've been everywhere. You know, I well, don't need the, to do this anymore. And so and he had the back stuff, which was bad. Yeah. Um, but he's he kind got, of recovered from that. But he, he's right. just kind of like. And saying, now he I, was he moved to Palm Palm Springs or Palm Desert, whatever it was. And he's perfectly happy there. Yeah. You know, yeah. so uh, what's funny is he used to live kind of in the area where you are. I know. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and he then he actually home. lived in Oregon where I'm at for a while, yeah. you know, a little bit. South yeah, here. he loved he loved it up there. But I guess, you know, when you're getting older, let's see what's warmer. And what's where can I go? Yeah, very exactly. nice out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm glad he's in good spirits, and yeah, it's like you know, it's like you know, using Paul McCartney. It's like not everybody keeps going into their 80s and stuff like that. That's you true. Know? It's That's like true. you know, so you know, God bless him that he keeps doing it. But you know, it's like, geez. You know? Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, it was great to have you on the show. It was Mitch. great talking to you again. Yeah, I mean, now yeah, that I yeah. see you on the little screen, if, if I picture a few more people around you, yeah. I remember that podcast. <laughs> yeah, because we were saying beforehand, we were both on Plastic yeah. EP's show at the same time, right. but not talking to each other. We were just, no. you know, it was like Hollywood Squares. It's like it you was. were there exactly. and I was down there. And, we, were the, we were the Brady <laughs> ones. Twain shall meet. Brady, yeah, Brady <laughs> was, yeah. <laughs> anyway. plastic, is a, plastic is a trip, and I love that guy. He's funny yeah. as hell. Yeah. I mean, he's just an amazing, he's like a machine. I was yeah. almost up to a thousand interviews now. It's like, it's insane. yeah. And it's like, yeah. it, we're up to almost 200. The, you know, this might be yeah. even show 200. I don't know the exact number of where I'm at, right. but it's like, I'm proud of that. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah. I'm up to 800. You know, it's I like, know. Jesus. You know? It's amazing. Amazing. Because <laughs> he he's started good. after me. You know, right. I started in 2018. I think he started in 2020. You know, and he's like, yeah. doing that many shows. And I was like, I know. I know. It's, I was one of the <laughs> early ones. I think, and I think Charles was the one who got me to, to do that one, I can't remember. We yeah. did, our first interviews was he still talks about it because the first one I wasn't set up in the house, so I was in my truck. So every time I did, I, <laughs> I, I looked that one up. I was, I was sitting out on the back porch uh -huh. in the cold, doing Oof. it from there because my wife had early shifts and she'd be sleeping in uh -huh. to go to do the work, so I wouldn't want to wake her up. Because I mean, she's probably going to tell me now, "Thank God you're done." But the thing is, she's <laughs> down in the, in the bedroom. But uh. Sorry, wife. <laughs> yeah, no, so, but you know, but he always remembers the fact that he's. I would do it from a from a my truck. It's somewhere within Wi-Fi range. I did it from the garage. I did it from somewhere. It's pretty. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Mitch has fallen on hard times. He's just yeah, on this truck. Yeah. Right. I am now in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's pretty well, funny. Anyway, you know, um, hope to get a chance to talk to you again after you've written your book, you know. But yeah. you know, it's like feel free to come on, you know. I will, I'd love, anytime, to. I would you know? love to. Uh That's this great. was fun, and uh we'll just wrap it up here. So great and good luck with your book and everything too. I well, thank you very much. It. it should I be out wait. sometime this year. We're crossing fingers. Yeah, you know, but we keep great. getting more information and more photographs and things like that. So if it takes still yeah, I'm look twenty four, you know, we're fine. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> ready, looking forward to reading because I mean those are Johnny Barbeda and all those people i've been known them known about yep. them for years yep. and actually i think we're friends on facebook or whatever but you know you don't want to go into a giant conversation then and right. i'm not going to hit facetime to call them because like because <laughs> everybody has yeah. no well, you may not know what the number is but you can hit call and so i don't want i, I don't like when people do that to me either you know so let, let fun. charles and i do the dirty work <laughs> exactly <what> exactly <laughs> that's great <laughs> anyway well i guess that wraps it up for another episode of fun ideas podcast a great special guest mitch weissman and again it was a pleasure having you on the show and thank you mark thanks for asking me thank you very much and we'll we'll see you again next time on the great. show bye everybody bye. Thanks.
Thank you for listening, and thank you, Mitch Weissman, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 199 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Mutant sex monsters rise up and-